Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. This is God's word. Lord, we ask you to come and to have your way here in this place. That you would go forth in the preaching and the proclamation of the word this morning, God, and that you would just inhabit, inhabit yourself here among us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We have a special treat today. It's not going to be me the usual guy. Um, we're going to have uh, Ashley come and bring the word up this morning. Yes, it is her first time, so I want you to make her feel super welcome and give her Zion's love. Yep. I love you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you for breaking that um, awkwardness for me. December brings Christmas lights. It brings tons of online ordering, peppermint mochas, helping those that are in need, rereading the Bible stories, doing cute little Advent crafts with our kids, setting up the nativity set, driving around looking at lights. And every year, as we're getting ready for the Christmas holiday, we find ourselves remembering a very familiar story. Some of you might think of the three wise men, or maybe a baby in a manger. But whatever you're thinking of right now, I just want to invite you to lay those thoughts aside and join me as we reflect on a young woman who finds herself in the center of a story that God knew well before her, but that would continue to be remembered long after her. Here we find a young, poor Jewish girl who's given the responsibility of bringing the Messiah into the world. I want to tell you about the story of Mary and how she was called to hold the Lord's Son in her womb and through the darkness chose to fall into worship to her first love, the Lord. What comes to your mind when you think of this story? For centuries, artists have been obsessed with capturing this moment, and I have a few paintings that I want to share with you. This first one is the Annunciation by Ivanka. And there's a few thoughts that I have here. The first one is Mary, the look on her face, she doesn't look super excited. <laughs> She's not like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, she looks a little confused. Um, but I, what I really love in this painting is the angel here on the side, and I might be standing in the way, but 
I love how gentle the angel looks. And even like holding that little plant, sometimes people associate plants with like peace offerings. And I just think that that is so sweet. The angel's just coming in so gently, even though Mary looks a little bit afraid. The next one is the Annunciation by Henry Tanner. I loved the realism of this photo. Mary is described to be a young, poor Jewish girl. And I just want you guys to look at this painting. I don't know if you guys can see just like the walls in the background and the blanket kind of just like tacked up. Um, it doesn't look like rag, like rags or anything, but everything doesn't look super nice. Like that really portrays Mary very well. Um, and same thing, her face, she just doesn't look super excited. Um, but her face to me here tells me that she's willing and that she's listening. I love the different ideas that people have come up with in their minds of how this interaction might have looked like. But despite all of these ideas just for today, I ask that you put what you know to the side and just try to hear it for the first time with a new perspective. This story isn't just a Bible story. There is no other story like this. It is truly one of a kind. And today we are going to be continuing in our series, Doxology in the Darkness, where we are looking at all the songs surrounding the arrival of Jesus, also known as Advent. Today we're going to be rediscovering the story of Mary through her song. So I'm going to read you Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. To best tell this story, we are going to move through Mary's song in movements. Each movement we will look at the song Mary is singing, the reality of that song in her life, the reality of that song in the story of the scriptures, and the reality of that song for us today. Here in her song, Mary models for us in song the way God moves in the world in four key moments. It's the way of worship, the way of remembrance, the way of humility, and the way of faithfulness. First, let's look at the way of worship. So going back to verse 46, it says, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So worship for Mary. Mary in this section of her song starts off by saying that her soul glorifies the Lord. With our modern ears, this might sound a little bit formal or maybe a little bit religious, but guys, she's feeling this worship deep inside of her. Words like my soul and my spirit show that this feeling is so deep inside of her that she is consumed by this. These were the words of worship overflowing her life. She also recognizes what the Lord has done here. 
She says, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She knows her situation. She knows where she comes from. And she knows that she is not high on the social ladder. She feels like she comes from the lower end and she calls herself blessed. She is blessed that the Lord chose someone like her in her position to receive this high calling of bringing about what the world has been waiting for. So who's Mary? Scholars tell us that Mary was likely a young teenager, possibly as young as 13 years old. A young woman in the ancient Near East, she would have had low social status. The ancient Near East was a patriarchal society through and through, which meant that Mary had no power or influence. She was a second-class citizen. In addition, she lived in an honor and shame society, which meant that the cultural currency was all about reputation. Your family, your story, your lineage, all dictated how you were treated in society. If you were to go against those cultural norms, you were rejected and disregarded. So I just want you guys to keep that in the background of your minds as we think about her story. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. We find out that Mary is first unmarried, a virgin who is engaged to a man named Joseph. An angel appears to her, and because we're familiar with the story, it might be easy for us to read this and think hearing from angels is casual or maybe business as usual, but this was certainly not the case. The text tells us that she was greatly troubled. The angel even had to remind her to not be afraid. This announcement came to Mary as a total surprise. As we look at the text, Mary was terrified and wondering why on earth an angel has come to speak to her as you and I probably would be. When we experience holy moments, we are reminded of the ways in which God comes to us in ways we never expected. Now, side note, I felt for my girl Mary in these verses. When I first read them, I had an immediate flashback to lots of different emotions um, when I actually had a prophetic word from the Lord. It was November of 2021, and we were in a moment here at pre-gathering prayer. Before I went up to lead, Andrew just came up to me and invited me to just really listen to see what the Lord had to say for me. Now, I don't know any of you guys who have practiced listening prayer before, but for people like me who cannot quiet the mind, <laughs> It is hard. <laughs> it is hard to just listen. But I sat up here with the microphone in my hand, and I was trying to model and lead the group in a time of listening prayer, and I get this voice in my head that felt like someone, God, <laughs> spoke right into my ear. It was like he was right next to me with his hand just kind of cupped to my ear, and it was telling me a secret. I immediately just opened my eyes to see if anyone saw or heard anything like I did. But when I opened my eyes, I saw everyone else's eyes closed and their hands in the position of receiving, and they're just like mumbling words, possibly praying. <laughs> but what I heard was so clear and so random, it actually frightened me. I heard, you're going to have another baby. 
I didn't know it at the time, but I was already about one week pregnant with Harrison. Those of you who know anything about pregnancy, you do not find out the first week of pregnancy. <laughs> it wouldn't show up on a pregnancy test, so I did not know I was pregnant in this moment. I wasn't trying to have a baby, and with my infertility, it wasn't something even on my radar. So this was a very interesting moment for me, to say the least. I ended up finding out, was finding out that I was pregnant just a few weeks later. I found out how far along I was, and I recalled this moment, and I found out I was already pregnant when I did receive that word. It was very overwhelming, to say the least. But I want to look back at verse 30 where it says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary is portrayed as favored by God. She was thoughtful, verse 29. She was obedient, verse 38. She was believing, 45. She was worshipful, verse 46. And she was devoted to Jewish law. And that's in 2, 22 through 51. I've always wondered why he chose Mary. While we can never be sure, the reason is tucked away in the purposes of God. But here's what we do know. Mary was in line with the kinds of people that God loves to use. God loves to use those who find themselves in the margins. Mary was certainly in the margins. She was living in a time where women were not very favored, so to say living under many layers of oppression, such as a time where taxes were at a high, women were not treated very fairly. She was a minority in the Roman Empire being Jewish. Jewish. She was poor, and she was about to have a baby out of wedlock, and she did not have a home. From the outside looking in, it would seem that she was favored. At least it probably didn't feel that way. But what if being favored by God looks different than what we think? Has there ever been a moment where you have felt like you have ever considered the favor of God on your life? I think sometimes we believe the lie that being favored looks a certain way. It looks like a time of peace. Everything's going your way. It couldn't get better. But what if favor rests on us despite our circumstance? What if favor rests on you when you are having a hard time dealing with the struggles of life such as doubt, anxiety, financial stress, and relationship distress? What if favor rests on you even when you think things like, I'm too hard to love, or I have too much baggage, or I have messed up too many times, or even my life and past mistakes are too dark? What if favor rests on you even in the moments where you're dealing with doubt and wondering if God is even real? What this text tells us is that no matter how difficult your circumstances feel, the reality may be that you are experiencing God's favor even in the darkness. I love this quote by Joel B. Green. Mary, who seemed to measure low in any ranking, age, family heritage, gender, and so on, turns out to be the one favored by God, the one who finds her status and identity in her obedience to God and participation in his salvific will. Experiencing God's favor doesn't mean that my circumstances go my way. It means that I am loved by God and that my identity and status are all bound up in him. When I begin to see myself as I really am, loved, called, chosen, and accepted by God, then no matter my circumstances, I am able to worship. So the angel continues with his message. 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It is in this moment that she realizes that she will be the one who bears the hope of the world, that in her womb she will carry the one the whole world has been waiting for. Mary now realizes what is being asked of her and what it will cost. But like any rational person, she has some questions. 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. I can only imagine the feeling of confusion and the emotions that probably ran through her mind as she is told she is going to bear the Messiah. 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from, the, from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. It is in this moment that Mary's character shows. Joel B. Green says, she unreservedly embraces the purpose of God without regard to its cost to her personally. Her response is exemplary, demonstrating how all Israel ought to respond to God's favor. All throughout the biblical storyline, various characters respond to God's call in their lives in different ways. Some flee, some complain, some question, but Mary trusts. Mary is willing to give up her life. She's willing to risk her reputation and bear the cultural shame and consequences. She doesn't know exactly how all of this will play out. But here's what she knows. God will be with me. David E. Garland says, Mary's humble response of faith basically conveys, I do not know what all of this means, but I trust God to do what is good. Here's the example we learned from Mary. We learn to trust. We see his heart of trust in the opening of her song. It is into the darkness of her story that she sings, and wow, how admirable. Mary's song, in verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The first really cool thing about this song, Mary's Thanksgiving psalm starts with a personal praise, and then it shifts to a praise for all of God's people. A song that offers thanks from the present to the past and then into the future, which is so stinking cool. <laughs> Daryl Bach says, Mary is a God-fearer who acknowledges the holy and exalted position of her God. The hymn shows the spirit of a God-fearer in recognizing the severity of God. The picture of the God-fearer is common in Luke. Those who see the most of God, says Mary, are those who acknowledge him. She has seen, as other God-fearers have seen, God's work, and so she offers praise. The way Mary is able to worship despite all of this chaos surrounding her circumstances is that she is really able to see her story within the larger stories of the scripture. She's aware of what this story will do for her, for humanity. Looking at her personal praise, God is praised in what he has done. Now, to speak of what God has done is to announce what God will do. Mary uses past tense verbs in her songs. 
we should consider the past tense as a way of expressing the confidences and certainty as though they already were. That Mary is sure that God will do what is promised. This is a huge example of Mary's faith. Mary, after receiving this news, says things like, My soul glorifies the Lord, and I am blessed. These words seem so accepting and joyful, despite the circumstances. There was this picture going around where someone made what would be a modern-day Mary and Joseph. I want you guys to just take a look at that and see if you guys notice any, uh, what do they call them, like little Easter eggs? Um, the one I really liked is it says free HBO, and then it says new, and it's supposed to say new manager, but it says manger. thought that was, that was cool. Um, Mary's wearing a sweatshirt hoodie that says Nazareth High School. <laughs> Anyways, the star on top of Mary's head. I think this really helps paint a picture in your mind of what the situation might be like if this story kind of happened in today's time. I don't know the illustrator, but this image to me shows a young couple who I think many would just dismiss because they look young. They seem to be on the streets, and it looks like they're about to have a baby. Now Mary finds herself in the long tradition of the people of God worshiping through difficult circumstances. Worshiping through the darkest moments is what the people of God do. Daryl Bach says, there is another cultural side note that stands behind this text. In ancient culture, virginity was an honored state, a badge of self-control and moral faithfulness. Mary would appear to many to have conceived a child out of wedlock. Thus, it is hard to appreciate the walk of faith Mary is asked to take here. In the midst of it all, however, what overwhelms her is not the risk of appearance with its potential risk to her reputation, but the joy of serving and being involved with God. We too should have moral integrity and be quick to serve God, even at great risk to our reputation. Her response is so admirable and God-honoring. Mary chose to respond versus react when she had every human right to react with this task that was given to her. We're not, call, we're not being called to ruin our reputations and carry the Son of God in our bellies. Sometimes God gives us tiny tasks and we often choose to react instead of respond. But I think if we choose to respond like Mary, it would allow God more opportunity to do things through us to help further the kingdom. And what an honor that would be. See, Mary chose to be grateful in this situation. We live in a world where we feel like just so much is owed to us. It's harder to serve, give, and honor God when it's not high on our priority list. We tend to treat God like he's our friend more than the almighty creator, which he is our friend, but he's first God, holy one, almighty creator. It's like the relationship with your kids. Sure, you want to be friendly with them, and honestly, my daughter is one of my best friends, but first, I'm her parent. I think it's important we keep in mind who God is first. Mary recognized the difference and the honor that was given to her to have God active in her life. We, too, should be seeing our relationship with the Lord as an honor and not something that's casual and convenient when we need it. The privilege for her spilled into an attitude of praise and gratitude. So how do we respond when things appear dark? There's a temptation in the darkness to let go of hope and trust in yourself, your own ideas, worldly metrics of power, etc. 
If you can think back on moments in your life where life felt dark, how did you respond in those moments? I think when times are hard, it's easy to fall into the temptation of running into things that feel easy or safe or comfortable. Chances are you have a comfort show, a show that you go to that you have seen time and time again that brings you comfort. Research has shown that watching a show where you already know what's going to happen can reduce your anxiety and bring more comfort because you already know the outcome. We run to a variety of things. But what would it be like if we ran to worship? If we ran to the one who knows what we need before we do. The one who have chosen to put our faith and trust in. The one who can bring life into a mother's womb through his power. The one who stepped into our story and changed everything. Can we have a merry response filled with gratitude, worship, praise, adoration, faithfulness, and willingness when he tries to speak to us and use us? That we would become the kind of people who, no matter the circumstance, worship in hard circumstance, seeing doxologies in the darkness. Being a people marked by worship, no matter the circumstance, is our heritage of faith. There have been many examples in the Bible where God, God's people have chosen to worship through the darkness. Most of the psalms or songs were written by David who prayed and praised God through his painful moments. One of these examples comes from my personal favorite psalm, Psalm 23. It reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of my days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Going through some of the darkest times in his life, David wrote many psalms, some crying out in grief and some thanking the Lord for his mercy, faithfulness, and adoration. Worship is the way of Worship is the way the people of God have throughout history have remembered who God has been, reminded themselves of what is true, and rooted themselves in hope while they waited. Verse 49 says, For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary recalls God's faithfulness to her in this moment. But his faithfulness is brought all along throughout her entire pregnancy. Joseph finds out that his fiance is pregnant, and it is not because of him. <laughs> he wanted to bounce. But the Lord revealed himself to him and confirmed what Mary had told him. He decided to stick by her side and endure this with her. Mary could have done this by herself. But, in his, but his faithfulness yet again brought Joseph alongside of her in this journey. Another moment is when Mary runs down the hill to greet Elizabeth after finding out this news, and Mary immediately—sorry, um, <clears throat> Elizabeth—immediately blesses her and confirms this pregnancy for her. As we learned last week, Zechariah asked for a sign from the Lord, but he was told about his and Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary did not ask for a sign, but God gave her one anyway through Elizabeth, knowing without her telling her. Mary recalls God's faithfulness to Israel and his mercy on their constant rebellion. 
In Exodus 34, if you want to read more for context, Moses falls down into worship and the Lord makes promises to him. Despite Israel and their idolatry, God remained faithful by keeping his word about bringing the Messiah. Mary recalls many moments where the Lord has remained faithful and will continue to be faithful. As I sat in the remembrance of the Lord's faithfulness, I was able to recall a few moments where the Lord had mercy, where he kept a promise given to me, and where he had favor on me. I think of when I longed to have a baby. I went through five years of infertility, and my husband got word from the Lord that it was time. And only a few months later, we found ourselves pregnant with Ava Lee. I think of times where he intervened in my marriage, making it stronger, and kept it together when times were hard. I recalled many times where we were struggling financially, and the Lord showed up every single time. I think of the times where things were so dark, I'm ashamed to bring them up, but the presence of the Lord was surrounding me in ways that I can't even explain. Church, I want to invite you guys to remember times where God has been faithful to you. When was there a moment where he showed up? When he kept a promise given to you? When was there a moment where you were surrounded by his presence despite the darkness surrounding you? In this section of Mary's song, she remembers what the Lord has done not only for herself, but for those before her. She recalls moments where the Lord has done great things in the past, the present, and the future. Verse 51 says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Something very significant about the Lord is that he moves through the humble, the lowly, the nobodies, and the poor. He chooses to be someone who is humble and willing. And this pattern is all throughout the scripture. I love what Daryl Bach says. We tend to view the rich and famous as blessed and powerful, as somehow favored by the divine. Yet this text makes it clear that God honors the humble and poor. He sees them while we often ignore them. This has much to say about the value of every person. Now Mary's feelings are clear. God owes her nothing while she has received everything from him. Her story illustrates how God treats others. Her hymn is a story not only about herself, but about all those who fear God and are the objects of his mercy and grace. Verse 52 says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Mary sings of the God who brings down the mighty and exalts those of low degree, who fills the hungry and sends the rich away empty. Through her, Luke introduces a theme prominent in both the Gospels and Acts. Fred Craddock says, Here we have a characteristic of the final judgment of God in which there is a complete reversal of fortunes. The powerful and rich will exchange places with the powerless and poor. This reversal has already begun. God's choice of Mary, using Mary to deliver the Son of God is evidence of it. I think of myself... I am not a lead teaching pastor of a successful church visiting to deliver this sermon to you guys. And honestly, when Andrew asked me to do this, I was very confused <laughs> as to why I would be the choice. But God uses people like you and me to deliver his word and to do his work. 
There's a pattern throughout scripture where God brings down the proud and raises up the humble, brings down rulers and raises up the lowly. And his plan to keep this pattern in days to come. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary finishes her song by talking about his faithfulness in the past, but his promise to Abraham goes to all of his descendants forever. It's an ongoing promise. The Lord's faithfulness to Mary lasted throughout her pregnancy and for years to come. He never left her side. He brought forth the Messiah, the ultimate deliverer through her, and continue to follow through on his promise for generations to come. I loved what Bach had to say on this. Mary expresses hope for Israel's vindication before her enemies. God will deliver this and more through Jesus. Those who turn to God can expect him to show his love and justice on their behalf in a time he deems appropriate. God does so because he remembers his promises. We close with this final verse, 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This story of Mary and her being told she is going to birth a Messiah is so unique. This poor, humble, young girl who comes from nothing is the one that the Lord chose to use to bring his son into the world. God is constantly using people from lower places to further his kingdom. He uses people like you and me. Mary, who seemed unqualified, was found to be highly favored by the Lord for her faithfulness, her belief, and love by the Lord. Mary, who was found in her own darkness, chose to worship the Lord through what was going to be the biggest change for her entire life. This change could possibly change her relationship with Joseph, as well as her reputation with the people around her and in her community. But all that Mary cared about was what the Lord thought, not about what others thought. Mary had heard about the Lord's deliverance before, but this time she was going to carry the ultimate deliverer inside her womb. What an honor that would be. I invite you to draw onto the Lord and worship despite any darkness that's surrounding you. We've been learning about doxologies in the darkness this Advent season and have learned just how faithful God is. We have learned that he loves to use people like you and me. And I invite you to lean into that heart posture and receive his blessings on you now as Andrew leads us in time of response. Would you join me in standing? Can you see why I asked her? Man, what a word. Well done. Well done, Ash. I'm stirred by this story of Mary for a million reasons, as Ash has just exposited beautifully. But a few come to mind. One is she had the humility to just say yes to what God was doing. I think sometimes we think humility looks like, oh, no, not me. It can never be me. But humility is just a yes. Yes, Lord. 
my hunch is that some of you find yourself being called by God. And there's a million reasons why you think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> there's a million reasons why you think you should say no. There's all these other things like Mary had. But the way of humility is the way of just saying yes. And so as a community, we're going to enter into a time of response. And so if this is you, all we're going to ask you to do is just kind of come forward up here to the front and just put your arms out just like this and the posture of receiving as a way of just saying to God, yes, I want to be used by you. There are others of you that find yourself in the darkness. You would not define this season as a good one. It's been hard. It may feel lonely, uncertain. The future seems very far off. And Mary's story is a reminder for you that hope is here and hope is on the way. And that you can sing even in dark moments. So maybe you find yourself in a hard season right now, and you need to be reminded of that. You need to be encouraged. You need to be helped along by the brothers and sisters that are in this room. I'm going to ask you to come forward and just put your hands out in the posture of receiving, saying, yes, Lord, I'm in the darkness, and I want to sing during this time. I want to see hope realized. And so the worship team is going to play. And as they do, if, if God's word is coming to you, do not hear it and do nothing. Hear it and respond by coming to the front, hands open, saying, God, I want to receive from you. And as you do, people are going to come around inside you and place a hand on your shoulder and pray, pray a blessing over you as you respond to God's word. Let's worship Lord.